Jeff life is, is rough. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of stress. And especially when you're working at the highest level and you look at places like Noma over mm-hmm. in uh, Copenhagen, like they have 30 interns that are, they did, and then none of them got paid and they're working 16 hour shifts where Shit. they're just not getting paid and your payment is the experience and the use on your resume. And experience. I think that, uh, Renee Redzepi, the the chef from Noma, he was uh, just put out something. They're going to close in 2023 because uh-huh. fine dining is not sustainable anymore. When you look at it from a restaurant, you know if you're a decent restaurant, you're making a 10% profit, and if mm. you're really good, killing it, you're making 15%. And then I think they started paying their their interns, and they're like, we can't handle it. Like it's yeah. just, and that's for a restaurant that's charging $500 a person. Cost of food, the cost of goods having to pay people a decent wage, it's its crazy. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome back to Cool Ass People. I'm your host, Brandon Heek. And on today's episode, we got a Brazilian chef based out of Dallas, Texas coming on. And his name is Eric Von Ilias. Eric is a friend of mine. We go way back. And he's a veteran of the restaurant industry and with 20 years of experience working at some of the most highest volume kitchens in Dallas. And so what I found interesting about Eric is he's actually switched gears recently to take his knowledge from the overall industry and became a culinary and training manager for a popular French bakery and cafe called La Madeleine that I'm sure a lot of y'all are familiar with. Tune in as he talks about what it's like to completely switch to a different facet of the industry, but also we could we compare a little bit of our crazy restaurant jobs and experiences and how they not only built us up, but I guess broke us down little piece by piece and made us who we are today. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as we did making it. So please help me in welcoming Eric Von Ilias on the Cool Ass People podcast. So how's everything been going, man? Amazing. Everything's yeah. been going really good. I know you just got back from India. That's freaking wild. Yeah, it was an awesome experience. Um, we went to Bangalore. Oh, yeah. Where it's uh, in the south of India. I mean, we didn't spend a lot of time in the city because we were mostly working out of the airport and our hotel was in the airport as well. But the airport was probably one of the most amazing airports I've ever seen. Mm. They have the outside built out kind of like a, um, what's that place in Frisco where they have everything outside? Um Damn it, I can't remember what it's called, where all the bars like back up yes, to each yes, other. Yes. So it, with the Bangalore uh, Airport, um, you, the, you can only go in if you're traveling or if you're coming in and coming back. And so everybody has a place outside where they have restaurants and shops and there's like a Buffalo Wild Wings out there. So it was, it was super cool. Did you get to like tr- try any of the food or anything? Yeah, yeah. We, we actually, on the fourth day we were there, we we're like, oh, we need some American food. So we went to Buffalo Wild Wings. But in the airport, there is all kinds of, like, all kinds of awesome concepts. There's a PF, there was P.F. Chang's, which they were like, you guys got to try this place, P.F. Chang's. Yeah. Like, we, we've ate there a lot of times, but it was good because it was the only place you could get beef. It was yeah. Buffalo. Yeah. So I got some, some of the beef dishes there, Buffalo dishes. They have Johnny Rockets there. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those. It's like a little not. 50s burger spot, oh. but you only find them on cruise ships now. So they had that. Uh, there was a really cool Indian spot that was super hip. And mm. I was telling them, if you brought this to Dallas, it would crush. They did like a bunch of cool dishes there. Yeah, every day we got, we got to go to Jamie Oliver's restaurant. That was his concept there too. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really that cool. Freaking yeah. sweet, man. Yeah. I love India. Driving there too is just shenanigans. Bro, it was 
unreal. It was, <laughs> it was freaking unreal. Um, we got like to, to get to the city, the actual city, it's an hour and like 30 minutes to go anywhere. So, and then it's like, there's three lanes, but there's six lanes of cars and motorcycles all trying to squish in. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is insane. And everything, all traffic lights and everything are just like optional. Yeah. There was like a turn where <laughs> people were going this way and this way and that way. And no one stopped for anything. And the guy that we, uh, we, that was taking us driving out there, he's actually from India and, uh, he lives in, uh, Abu Dhabi or and, Abu Dhabi. Uh, yeah, Abu Dhabi. And, uh, he was taking us driving he's like, yeah, rule number one, like you, the buses win. Yeah. So you get out of the way of the buses yeah. and then you don't stop for pedestrians or else somebody's going to rear end you. Yep. Dude, I cannot like the way that they walk across the street. I was there with my friend and you just have to like own it and just almost like jump into freaking traffic. It was just like Egypt when we went to, to Cairo <laughs> and, uh, we're all looking at like how we're we going to cross the street. And luckily this guy came up to us and he's like, Hey, I'm going to help you guys cross. And it was just like a leap of faith. And I think that you have to have your body language where you're like looking at them and you're like, you're not going to hit me. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we're not going to hit you, but you just have to go yeah. and have to be confident with it. My head of operations was with us. And that was probably like the highlight of the trip. Cause on the one, the second time we went into the city, we went to Mysore and then we saw the Mysore palace. And then as we're coming back, we stopped at the market, mm -hmm. which was a, another crazy experience. And uh, as we're leaving, we go to cross the street and we're crossing, 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 and it turns green and everybody just starts going. And my boss is screaming like a schoolgirl. He's like, ah, and he's like <laughs> pushing the guy in front of him so he can run because there's this tractor that's about to crush him. And it was, it was, it was probably the highlight because I was just laughing. Dude, I laughed when I went, I had to ride in like tuk-tuks a lot. Yeah. And I swear I almost got hit by like three garbage trucks and I'm like flinching and they're constantly making fun of me because they're like, what well, did you get hit? And I'm like, I don't know how any of you survive here. That shit is. It's crazy. I could never, I could never drive like that. Yeah, no, I never. Just, I was thinking to myself, it was like, if I rented a car here and I would just, I would stop in the median and I would just stop and I'd never go. I'd yeah, never have the balls to go. Same dude. But uh, the way they have uh, Uber there is you just, you rent it. And it comes with a drive where you rent Uber and it's five hours. Yeah. And uh, the guy just picks you up, takes you places and. We, we rented an Uber for five and a half hours and with tip, it was 48 bucks. What? Yeah. That would be like freaking, I don't know how many hundreds of dollars in Austin for sure. That shit's wild. So for the listeners, just to give a quick little background, you now work with, is it LaMadeline? I work with LaMadeline. Okay, yeah, cool. corporate office. Cool. So you started as a chef and now you've worked your way into like a little bit of the corporate setting? Yeah. Start, started as a cook and then uh, started doing prep cooking and then moved to the line and then I was doing chef and I did operations for probably 20 years now. Wow. And, and, and the crazy thing about the LaMadeline story is my first, very first job was at LaMadeline. What? Yeah. It was uh, close to my mom's house. And I remember I had to save money to buy a car. So my mom's like, well, you're going to have to walk there. And so I found the LaMadeline place. That was kind of where it spawned my, my journey to go to culinary school. Cause I had met a guy that I really admired there and uh, he was going to culinary school. And I was like, okay, that's, that's what I want to do. Dude, you should be in the LaMadeline commercial. I, like, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like for real, like that's ridiculous. So where would you say that your like culinary journey like actually started? It's well, see, my parents separated when I was, uh, I was probably six. So at a young age and, um, my grandpa, her dad, what kind of became the the man, the male figure in my life. He was like this, or he is this this Renaissance type of man, where he is like awesome at dancing, awesome at cooking, yes. and he fishes, he hunts, and all that stuff. And so, 
I is one of my favorite people in the world. Just spending the time with him and cooking with him, I think, is really where it spawned my uh, my love for cooking. I have some friends when I was in school in architecture that were also because I worked in a bunch of kitchens when I was uh, to get me through school and serving. And I met a couple of people in Dallas that were pursuing cooking like the like I was architecture, and it was fun to see the parallels between the craft. Anyone can go to a restaurant. Like growing up, it's like yeah, you go to Chili's or these other things. But then when you get your eyes open to like these beautiful restaurants like Alinea and like all these others, to me, I was enlightened to understand like okay, it isn't just food that you're preparing. A lot of times, it's like there's a craft behind yeah, yeah. and an experience. Is there like something that you've pursued in cooking that you would say that? Have you ever like practiced anything cooking knife skills, a craft that you've pursued in a way like, like a, like a specialty? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, I mean, I try to be as well-rounded as, as I can be. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm a very kind of obsessive person mm-hmm. when I, when I get into my hobbies and it just goes from one, you know, one thing, it could be Thai food and I'm just like obsessed and, mm-hmm. I, and I'm buying them order and I'm going to, to the Asian market and buying all the stuff and, and making curries and sticky rice. And then it goes from as right now, I just purchased a Molino, which is a, uh, it's a mill to grind, uh, nick some all corn. Mm. So I want to start making my own tortillas and masa and, and play around with that. So that's the, the current obsession. But yeah, I mean, you know, when you go to culinary school, it starts with the basis, you learn the history, and then you go into basically stock making and sauces and the foundation. And then it's knife cuts and learning the mother sauces. And then it just goes from there. And it, usually you have classes where we're breaking off into like regional cuisine and then there's baking and pastry. And, uh, hmm. there's a point where we have a capstone project and then we, we run our, we run a restaurant at the, at the school. That's freaking sweet. Yeah. I, it's funny. I did a class when I was in high school. Was, I did an entrepreneurship competition and literally next to us was like a culinary competition. And I got to watch it simultaneously. And I was like, I'm doing the wrong thing. This is so cool to see, like you get to break down the fundamentals and stuff like that. Um, But I'm curious a little bit about your background too, because I feel like as a designer or as someone who is another creator, you have to kind of dig into like what makes you unique. You're from Brazil. Is that right? Yeah, I I, I was born in Fort Worth. And then uh, my my mom, my mom had me down here when she was, she came from Brazil for a little bit. And then uh, we moved back to Brazil. I lived in Brazil for three years, three or four years. And then we moved to California where I lived probably like 10 years. And then my mom actually had met my stepdad on the, the beginning of internet chat rooms and on <laughs> prodigy in a dial up internet. <laughs> and then she had met them, him and, uh, uh, and he's from Plano, Texas. And then we moved here and I spent like a, a bulk of my life here. Um, my mom is originally from Rio de Janeiro mm-hmm. and like her whole side is Brazilian. And then my dad was from Germany and then with kind of a mix of Germany and, and a Hungary background. Mm, that sounds like a really interesting like yeah. dialogue between the two. I like that you're from Brazil and that's super inspiring as far as like, has that influenced what you use for like your ingredients ever? Have you ever been able to look back at something that you've learned from where you're from and just say, there's a certain kind of dish, like this is something I learned back in the day. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when you first get into cooking or a lot of people do, you kind of go into, you know, hot cuisine and and French basics. And and then as you want to kind of figure yourself out, you want to just add a little bit of your your background and Mm -hmm. and see what's passionate and and kind of uh, 
get into elevating Brazilian cuisine and there, there wasn't a lot of that there uh, or here, you know. I love uh, cooking Brazilian cuisine. It always brings me back home and makes me think about my mom's cooking. Mm-hmm. So what, like with your job now, what is it that you typically do as far as like designing menus and stuff like that? So my, t- my position is a culinary and training manager. It's uh, pretty much have all the responsibilities of a director of culinary, whereas I, my, my boss brought me in to kind of revamp their training program and also just kind of update the food and and get back to he wanted to bring some manly dishes and kind of just update the food a little bit and so I do a little bit of both so I'm working on the training program revamping the training program and as well as making new dishes we just had a rollout where we rolled out three new baked pastas I did some new sides for our feast which is going to be during Thanksgiving Cool. So, cool. So, so it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's a hybrid job. So I'm using the office three days and then either one or two days out at the test kitchen where I'm kind of working on new recipes and ideation as well as uh, just w- checking the other restaurants and seeing how everything they're doing in all the restaurants. So whenever you're saying these like baked pastas, is there like a specific type of cuisine, La Madeleine? I mean, I've eaten there a couple of times and had like tarts and stuff. Yeah. Like, is there something that they primarily focus on that you... Well, they, they say that it's uh, it's what American people think is French food. That's, <laughs> okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's the whole thing of, of La Madeleine. So it's French inspired. There's a lot of uh, hearty country French. I mean, when you mm-hmm. went to La Madeleine, it's got that really yeah. deep country wood look to it. So whenever you're looking at these dishes, what is it like some of the stats of like, if I were to look at food, like you're swiping through different types of dishes what is it that you look for in a dish that's not too many ingredients or is not too complex? Cause yeah, well a lot of, you don't want to bring in too many, a lot of these big companies, you don't want to bring in a lot of extra skews, which, yeah. which is like, you want something to have multiple uses. Um, cause you, you have so many restaurants that you have to cater to mm-hmm. and you have franchisees and franchises that also have to carry your products. So you're looking for something that aligns with the brand as far as it's, whether it's French inspired or, you know, a hearty dish. And then, but you're also looking at it as easily executable. And how are you going to push this through a restaurant with it's fast casual where people are expecting their food in, in, in six to five to eight minutes. Yeah. That's so fast. those are all things that you got to consider and the, equ- the equipment that we're using. That's interesting. Cause I, I just started learning like middle Eastern cuisines after going to Egypt and her mom showing me how to cook a bunch of these dishes and how we like char a lot of the spices. And then mm-hmm. you, to me, what makes it technical is the amount of ingredients and like the quantities. And like, I can see how if I were manning a bunch of different stores and had to say like, I want them to make a biryani, if they were to make it from scratch, that shit is wild. It's interesting to me to have to break it down from your position of saying like, okay, what's something that's efficient, delicious, quick, easy to make, but also you have to put like a French twist on it. And yeah, I mean, I, I could just kind of go on that. And, uh, one of my favorite chefs, uh, Thomas Keller, which is yeah. like an amazing chef. He always says, uh, uh, I might butcher this quote, but it's like embrace the mundane and yeah. it's you're, you're doing the same things over and over again and just find the love in it and how you're going to perfect your craft and just put the love into every piece that you do because you're going to do the same thing over and over again and over and over again. And, uh, you know, just you really want to embrace that. Is there ever like a place if you hypothetically got a phone call today 
a place that you would want to go work at. Like I know the Madeline's probably, maybe someone's going to listen to it, but like if the French laundry or someone called you, is there like a chef that you follow that you would love to work with for a short amount, like a stage? And I mean, there's, there's a, a chef. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the chef's table. Yeah. Have you ever seen the one of the Brazilian chef, Alex I, Atala? Yes. Yes. Where yes, he's yes, like yes. in the beginning, he's like, in the beginning I took a heavy dose of acid and then that I learned <laughs> the, uh, the meaning of life. Like yeah. that, I think that guy and, and his restaurant Dom, like just picking oh, that guy yeah. and that guy just, his style reminds me a lot of my grandpa where yeah. it's like, he would go to the rainforest and go cut, get a fish and pull ingredients. And you know, my grandpa knew all the fruits and grasses and stuff to pick. And that's, that's probably the place that, I that would sounds do. bad freaking yeah. ass. dude. Yeah. And I personally, I love, What's his name? Grant from Alenia. Grant, uh, yes, 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 yes. I can't remember his last uh, name. Uh, it's with an A. Yeah. Altraz or, yes, yes. I should know this. But I love the pursuit of craft and like the proportions and like the different types of desserts that they make. It's very architectural. I love yeah. that they build it on the table yeah. and the, they made balloons, like dessert balloons that you can like eat at the table. That shit is wild. And they pull like all your senses. They have those bags that yeah. release the smell as yeah. you're eating. Yeah. I think it's $800 a person oh, to, yeah. to go eat at Alenia. Oh, yeah. There's no way I'm yeah. eating at Alenia anytime soon. Do you have like a... This is a weird question. Do you have like a dream client or is, is there like a setting or something that you could, whenever I picture, and as an architect, I would love to have like a certain client that I could build something for. Is there like someone that you would like love to cook a meal for? I think always you want to be able to do the things in practice, like the food or, or build the things that for say, like yeah. you want to build the things that you want to do and yeah. the things that really bring it out. And as uh, kind of me and Rachel always talk about, my fiance, it just, it becomes more of a service industry, just like architecture is yeah. where you're kind of put into the strains of, you know, whether you're working for a restaurant tour and you're following his vision or you're working for a client and they're like, no, no, no. Like we need you to do this or we need you to make this cheaper. And so I think just, yeah, being able to do, have no limits and do yeah. whatever you want to do. And I, I, I appreciate that you are given responsibility at your current job and that they understand where you're coming from as far as taking your previous knowledge of working at different kitchens and how you can like retrofit it to like make them more efficient. I was curious about, we talked a little bit about India earlier. What was it that like brought y'all to India and is there other places that you're eventually going to like travel for this job? Yeah. Um, we, we had a client that reached out to us and they put a bid in at the Bangalore airport and, um, I think they put the bid in not knowing that they were going to win and they won. So we ended up having to put it in that airport, which like we met the, uh, the whole guy that runs the everything over there. And, uh, they were just wanting to make it extremely posh, which it was, it was the greatest airport I've ever seen. You walk in and it's beautiful restaurants and you go in thinking, I'm like, Oh, we're going to have to roll course. Cause they didn't have a way to source a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So everything was made there. Unlike a lot of our restaurants here where we have, they source everything and mm-hmm. a lot of it's made in a, in a commissary kitchen with you know well the, they're making the pastries in house but at this place they made everything there and i'm going thinking oh it's going to be like basic we're going to be rolling stuff out no they had thirty thousand dollar combi ovens <laughs> in every restaurant in the in the airport so each restaurant had two thirty thousand dollar combi ovens they had a dough sheeter which is probably like six grand they, they, it was they spent tons of money and uh it's a beautiful store when they won the bid they brought us out there to just check everything and Mm -hmm. and come out there and help them open the restaurant shifting gears just a little bit something that i recognize in the food industry that i think is similar to architecture as well is and i don't understand how people do it and i thought architecture worked a lot of hours 
but chefs work like the most astronomical amount of hours that I've ever seen in my freaking life. I had friends who would go in early just to prep, like prep all day, go through service at night. And then all those people would go out until like two or three in the morning and then get up at like 6 a.m. and just freaking do it all over again. How has it been? It's probably been better now that you've switched into like a corporate setting. Oh, right? it's, it's, a, it's done a, a 360. It's, yeah. It's a, lot, it's a lot better. I'll tell you that. Um, it, it, the life is rough. Like chef life is, is rough. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of stress. And especially when you're working at the highest level and you look at places like Noma over mm-hmm. in uh, Copenhagen. Like they have 30 interns that are, they did, and then none of them got paid and they're working 16 hour shifts where Shit. they're just not getting paid and your payment is the experience and the use on your resume. And experience. I think that, uh, Renee Redzepi, the, the chef from Noma, he was, uh, just put out something. They're going to close in 2023 because oh. fine dining is not sustainable anymore because when you look at it, uh, from a restaurant, you know, if you're a decent restaurant, you're making a 10% profit. And if mm. you're really good killing it, you're making 15%. So that, and then I think they started paying their, their interns and they're like, we can't handle it. Like it's yeah. just, and that's for a restaurant that's charging $500 a person. And inflation too. Yeah. Like the cost of food, the cost of goods, having to pay people a decent wage. It's, it's crazy we've had like wild supply chain issues. So I'm sure like, especially in California, a bunch of other places, people are feeling it. So I can't imagine like the overhead that goes into restaurants and trying to figure out how to make make ends meet. And I remember being working on like a Friday or Saturday night with like 350 reservations and then us running out of like certain ingredients and then everyone ordering that dish and it just being like, <laughs> literally just like the sky is falling for the next like three or four hours. Do you have any memories of that, of just like shenanigans? Do you have one that off the top of your head, like just one of them crazy? Oh, I mean, so many. Um, when I went to train for True Food, I was working, I went to their flagship store and the store did, oh, I want to say it was doing like 240 or 260K a week. Shit. And it was like madness. It was organized chaos. And I wish I had took my phone and stuck it in the corner so I could do some like time-lapse recording because I could just like having to explain this to somebody else and be like, this is what happens when they're doing like six, $7,000 hours. And just like, you got lines of tickets just going all the way to the floor and everybody's just running. They're running out of plates. The plates are coming out still hot of the dish machine. They're having to put them in ice water to cool them off to bring them to, it was, it's just, it's crazy. Uh, I've had so many uh, times like that, having to execute it and make everybody happy. Yeah, I had some similar stories of bartending when I worked in Uptown, and just like literally, there were times where I would just take the receipts, yeah, and put make, them like, around a, necklace a little necklace. Out yeah, of it and just that's like, when you got really good. You yeah, cocky, you just take yeah. the receipt necklace and dangle yeah. it from your from your uh, shoulders. I did get really close with those people though, because after a while, you're like, you know, we're about to go through some shit. Yeah, it's and, like, and you, they, they, they know, they feel you, and they understand where you're coming from and your stress. You know, it's like. It's very relatable to them because they're in it with you and uh, you, you develop those close bonds. Yeah. And you're with them all the time. Trauma bonding. Yeah, tra- <laughs> trauma bonding. <laughs> I was going to dive into a little bit of like the health and wellness part of it, what you do to combat burnout. I'm curious about like fitness or like what do you typically, I know you have a beautiful sauna in the in your backyard. Yeah, which I haven't been able to use since it's been, uh, it was 110 forever. Yeah, just but, step outside. But now <laughs> it's perfect. So I'm going to start kicking it on. Um, I think that you got to always unplug and uh it's hard these days when everybody has your email and your text message and they can just hit you up at any time of the day but 
I think a, a big thing is, is unplugging and just, and making your personal time. Like you, you have to have your personal time. If you, if you don't, you, you're going to burn out as far as working out. I've been slacking, but we, we, <laughs> we try yeah. to, we try to work out two to three times a week. Um, I, I, I jump rope a lot for cardio nice. when, when I'm in it. And, um, that's usually what we do. And I will usually do a little bit of weights and a little circuit. Then I'll jump rope and then we'll hit the sauna. Nice. How long does it take the sauna to heat up typically? It takes, uh, for it to get really like popping, it takes about 40 minutes, like 40 minutes to an hour and it's, it's steaming. Yeah. Um, what temperature you, do you get it up to? 185. Nice. Is okay. Yeah, 185. I always loved ending my workout with it because even if I had a crappy workout and like I break all my sweat, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm good. This is, this is awesome. And to get your heart rate up too. Yeah. Cause like, I like to sit in the sauna just when I start feeling like I have a fever. And that's like just whenever you start releasing all anything that you need to like help you. I forgot the heat shock proteins. Heat shock proteins yeah, yeah, that help you. Also, the dopamine and everything that comes with it afterwards. So typically, I enjoy pre-cooking our meals. Yisra does every once in a while, but I do like ninety percent of the cooking. Do you still like pre-cook your meals for the week? Yeah, we've, we we definitely do. We try. We usually use Sundays since we're both off, Same. and then I'll I'll pre-cook. Rachel will be my sous chef, and she'll be chopping some vegetables and get it in there. She gets upset because she knows I get I get a little controlling in the in the kitchen. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you cutting it? Why are you cutting on that? You know, she's like, oh, I hate cooking with you. Yeah, yeah we we uh, we pre-cook all our meals. We put them in little glass containers, and uh, we take them to work. We started using uh, a rancher as well, and yeah. uh, he's got raw milk raw cheese raw butter and he does grass-fed organic uh beef and the other day i, I emailed him and i was like hey I, I need some bones you know you guys are gonna mm. get any bones talking he's like well the cow is just going to the butcher shop right now so next week i'm like that's amazing just how wow. fresh you get and you're getting one you're getting the meat from one animal and not like mm-hmm. mixed with hundreds of animals yeah i've heard like a single pound of ground beef yeah. has like 200 different cows in it which like makes me uh, Oh, so weird. So do you make your own bone stock or something like that? Or like, what do you, yeah, we, uh, I do, um, bone broth for the, uh, the benefits of, of gelatin. And, uh, I've heard about using ghee and other things too. Like, that's what I use ghee too. Okay, yeah, cool. Ghee, I, I haven't oil. really gotten to use ghee yet a lot. So that's something that I'm still like trying to hop on board. What with. do you guys use? Avocado oil? Yeah. I use avocado yeah, oil. That's my go to. Yeah. yeah. Cause yeah, definitely not canola. It's like in the eighties and early nineties where it was uh, margarine. Like oh, everybody yeah. had margin. They're like, butter's bad for you. And they're eating this like spreadable <laughs> seed, like <laughs> laboratory made stuff. It's like, I don't think that's like, yeah, what you need to be concerned about. Cause uh, inf- inflammation is like a super real thing. Yeah. And so I'm curious, we've talked a lot about your past and what makes you who you are now and like how you got to where you are. I'm curious about like future sites, like, and I don't expect you to have like an end all be all answer. Is there some goal that you have personally that you still want to get done? Or yeah, is it definitely just... is to, uh, be the director of culinary for La Madeline. Badass. And, uh, and I really just want to, you know, change the, make a big change in, in the food and, and just bring back like all the love and, and the amazing pastries and the French culture to it. And I, I just want to change, like, I want people to go back to La Madeline and see that, wow, this is like, this is the guy that revamped everything and made, made all this amazing food. So when are you going to France, man? Like I actually got, uh, asked to go after India. Oh. So my boss did a stopover and, uh, we left cause we flew from Dallas to London to Heathrow and then London to Bangalore. My boss came back, stopped in London and he did the stopover to France. And he had told me, he asked me, Hey, I'm going to go stop over in France. 
And then I was like, ah, oh, you know, thinking in my head, I'm like, dude, Rachel's going to kill me if I like, take another extra couple of days. <laughs> and I just knew that like just traveling and moving around is exhausting when yeah. you get, when you get older and you're traveling around and you're going from place to place to place to place, it just kills you. And I knew that I was going to have to come back to work and he's go, he's, he's a madman. He like, <laughs> he like took a day off, like coming back from France, took a day off and then went straight to work. And I was like, no. And he gave me like a couple of days off. So I had the Thursday or the Friday to recoup. I showed up here four in the morning, Thursday, had the Friday to recoup. And then, uh, jet Monday. Lag. yeah, jet lag is a mother. We're, he said we were probably going April or March. To okay, France. cool. Yeah. We're talking about going next summer really? uh, to Paris yeah. and her friends were like, just get here. And mm-hmm. I was like, fuck it, let's go. She's already, she's been already, right? Oh, she yeah. lived there for yeah. a little bit. Yeah. She's, she went YOLO mode in yeah. freaking Paris. She's like, I lived on hummus and baguettes. I was <laughs> like, I want to do it. Yeah, like dude. that sounds great. Like getting to see all the art, the culture. And also, yes, for sure. Like the thing about Paris that makes me nervous though, is that I know the Euro is more than the dollar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like when we were in Turkey, the Lira is way lower. Like, so there's 32 Liras per dollar. So we would go out and have like a whole breakfast spread for like 250 Lira, which is like $7. I know in India it was the same thing. We went out and we're eating breakfast and I was like, dude, my breakfast was $4 (laughs) and I had like, like a badass coffee, like a croffle and like a couple eggs, bacon. Like, this is awesome. We went to the, like we went to the hotel and I think we were paying, I want to say it was like 170 a night, but it was probably like a five or $600 hotel in in America. And it was like, dude would wash my clothes and I'd send my laundry and they'd be individually folded with little cardboards in between and the socks put together. And I was like, holy crap, it came better than I put it in there. Like it was just, it looked new. Dude, other countries, especially when you get into like weird population densities, like what I noticed in India is there's a job for everybody there, like in different, Mm -hmm. like one of my friends, his family lived in like a tower and there's this man who sat in the elevator all day. Just like, push the buttons. Yes. Yeah, they have one of those in Brazil, too. I was like, what? <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. This guy just basically lives in the elevator pressing <laughs> buttons. <laughs> yeah. Boop. Like, I didn't have to touch buttons. Pretty crazy, yeah. like, to think about that in comparison to the U.S. Well, because labor is cheap. I went to, when we went to the, the airport, and I'm looking at all these um, restaurants, there's like 14 cooks. There's 14 cooks or servers. And then I'm asking like the guy, like what they, what they paid, you know, and it's, you know, a dollar an hour. Wow. You know, it's, it's, it was so little. And I was like, okay, and it makes sense why you have so much labor. Cause in, in America, the biggest cost in a restaurant is labor people and making them show up consecutively. Yeah. Cause we all know kitchen staff. Yeah. <laughs> Unreliable. That's Definitely. the one thing I don't miss from operations. Dude, Ugh. I can't tell you. I, mean, I could go. Saute cook doesn't show up. I guess who's working saute? It's me, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I used to laugh. My friend Sonia, she would freaking, I would all come into work and I would see her back there prepping shit and she would have a sour look on her face. I was like, ah, someone didn't show up. Rachel used to hear from me all the time. I'm like, I guess my saute cook's not here. Here I go. <laughs> freaking 40 year old man. should break my back. Dude, that's like, I feel like those are the busiest nights for some unusual oh reason. God, like, and I used to, I, it's, it's a young man's game, man. And, uh, and you get to my age, it's like bending over that many times in a ship. I'm like leaving. I'm like, Oh, your age, dude, you don't fucking look like I, it. I, I had no idea you're in your, 40s, I appreciate dude. it. Dead serious. Like you, so you look low thirties, man. Ooh, I'll take it. Dude. Wow. Good for you. Brazilians don't age apparently. Like. Yeah. I, I, my mom, uh, was in the skincare, um, business and I always tell her like she made a career off the way she looks. She's like, I use this. I use that. You need to buy this. You need to buy that. And my mom, she doesn't use anything. It's just genetics. You know, <laughs> she's amazing genetics. 
her dad had amazing genetics and it's just uh that's hilarious use for the skin is just like that too yeah. everywhere i take her if i had a dollar for every time she got complimented on her skin like loans would be paid off like every time i take it somewhere they're like you have beautiful skin it's just like what the fuck you don't have any wrinkles and i'm getting wrinkles already like <laughs> gotta same get, gotta get some of that oiliness in your skin gosh her friends call me grandpa i'm like they think she's still their age. I'm like, what the? F-? I mean, she's still super young, but I'm like, but yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on. I know we've been I'm trying to get this set up for a while now. So, yeah, dude, I thank you for having me. This is awesome. I like to eventually do like a follow up episode because I want to. Yeah, we can yeah. see how La Madeline's still treating you and what your trip to France is going to be like because I'm super curious about yeah, that, dude. I don't know if you want to give you a shout out to your own uh, social media or anything like that. I don't really have a social media. I'm freaking. I know. Dude. I know. I live like I live like you do 90s. live like you should. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. should. So. I love that. This is the first time out of all my episodes that I have someone who's like, you know, I don't have shit. So appreciate it, dude. Thanks again, Brennan. <laughs>